Good evening, church. How beautiful is it to know and understand, believe, and trust that we are desired. Thank you, gentlemen, uh, for sharing your gifts and talents, and for those as well uh, that represented the likes of Superman, Captain Hook, Princess Leia, and the others. I just have to point out that that flying scene was one of the most incredible entrances <laughs> and creative, mind you. See, those of you in the balcony, you nearly missed the whole thing. <laughs> just repent and God will forgive you. Tomorrow you come down and join us, the remnant. I hold in my hand a, uh, a bottle of Biotine, biotine, I don't even know what it's called, with exilotol, relief for dry mouth. <laughs> there is a student amongst us tonight who has left this present for me. Dear Matthew, take this as a joke or what you will. But I was in our friendly local pharmacy today, and this made me think of you, smiley face. <laughs> Thank you for sharing the gospel. Let nothing stop you. Amen. And now with my biotene, biotene, B-I-O-T-E with a, like a cinema, biotene, gentle mint. It tastes nothing like a gentle mint, uh, but I like to refer to myself as a gentleman. See what I did there? It's gnarly. Um, but the important thing is, is that I feel the love. So thank you so much for this enzyme spray. Here, have some enzyme spray. Uh, and notice my water bottle is on my right, so I'm stepping out in faith tonight, believing that the Biontine... Actually, I think I've just discovered the name for my fifth son... You son are named Biotine. After my moisturizing mouth spray. Moisturizer for my mouth. Maybe we ought to shoot a commercial. Just sell. Maybe I could become a spokesman for the Biotine and travel the planet. Selling, again, it says here, I mean, enzyme system. Salivary LP3 enzyme system. I'm lost and confused, but I am deeply grateful. Uh, I trust you guys are doing well tonight. A couple quick things, and then we're going to dive into Scripture. We're going to finish chapter 2 of Philippians tonight by God's grace. We will believe that miracle when we see it come to fruition uh, we will be picking up in verse 19, concluding tonight in verse 30. On the screen behind me, though, before we get to that, I'm going to offer a word of prayer, even though we've been prayed up and been blessed by some solid music. If those are first-year students uh, leading music today, uh, earlier this morning and tonight, just deeply grateful for your gifts and talents and energy. Um, I, quite frankly, I wanted you to keep singing tonight. 
um, and wish we just had more time together. Um, but on the screen behind me, in front of you, you will notice two email addresses. One is for um, the person who is serving in the title of chaplain. He doesn't like to be called Chaplain uh, Wayne French. So the person who is serving in that capacity, his name is Wayne. You can call him Wayne or uh, because he's a little shorter than I am, you can call him Lil apostrophe Wayne. Uh, Lil, Lil, Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne. Um, you can email him if you care to receive my book. He is now the proud recipient of all six chapters out of my book. Uh, called Reboot Your Spiritual Life. Uh, they are both in a PDF form. If you'd prefer a PDF form, please just let him know that uh, because he has that. For those of you who have iPads, it's probably the easiest way to read that document. Uh, he also has each chapter individually in a Word document. So whatever you prefer, you can get that from Lil Wayne uh, later. Just email him. Additionally, we want you to start considering, so please just pay special attention to this or make a special note of this, that for those of you, um, and quite frankly, in talking to Wayne today, one thing that I appreciate is, is that every year at Festival of Faith and these type of things, it's customary to have a decision card or a moment where, where we ask you to come forward Billy Graham style for an altar call. And I'm not here to belittle an altar call. As a matter of fact, I think every sermon and message should challenge us to make a decision for something. Um, but I would simply say this, that all too often in our lives, we create a culture where in the moment you make a decision, you come forward, and, uh, and sometimes, and again, I'm not trying to belittle that. I've gone up to many, many altar calls, trust me. Um, and I've even called, uh, uh, some, made some altar calls at times. So again, I am not here to belittle that for point of clarification. Uh, but I will say this. This week, what we've decided to do is simply put the ball in your court. You have his email address. You have mine. If you are seeking Bible studies for yourself personally or collectively in a group, uh, if you decide that you would like to be baptized, why? Because you've heard the gospel preached and you saying in your heart of hearts that you are choosing to follow Jesus, surrendering all to Christ. Um, there are some people on this campus who deeply love God and are passionate about following Jesus Christ. And if baptism is a concern to you or, or confusion to you, I would encourage you to study what the Bible has to say and also talk to somebody who can uh, spell that out to you. Um, to me, I simply liken Bibles, uh, baptism to marriage. When I married my wife, it was uh, our, the wedding celebration was actually a celebration, a public display of something of our love that was already established. Does that make sense? Baptism, I liken it to the same thing, where it's a public display of something that's already established. You're choosing to follow Jesus, and in so doing, surrender your life, surrender all to Him, and live into His kingdom. This is an important point, so let me just um, make a, clear, a statement of clarification here of what this means. All too often in our Christian life, we hear the gospel preached, and we say we want to make a decision to accept Christ. And here's, I, I, I kind of wish I had this uh, visual on the screen, but just bear with me on this. And imagine this circle right here being your life. So this circle is your life. Okay, so 
anyway, uh, so the circle is your life. And in your life are things that you like, the things that you like to do, like eat food or listen to music or play sport or whatever. And all these things start to make up who you are in your life. Uh, it could be part of your identity in your life is I'm a student or I'm a son or I'm a daughter or I'm this, I'm that. That makes up your life. So if you, know, you were to ask, ask yourself, what are the attributes of your life? Those are the things, whatever it is, would fit into the circle called life. And what, what often happens is, is the gospel is preached and we say, I, I choose this day to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, and all too often we, we sell you short because you are under the impression that Jesus, once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus just comes up into your circle and fits conveniently as one of the pies that makes up, one of the pieces of the pie that make up the, the entirety of your life. Does this make sense? So Jesus, in other words, just becomes part of your life. And, and in so doing, what ends up happening is, is church rolls around. For those of us who are Sabbath keepers, uh, uh, we celebrate the life of Jesus and we go to church on Sabbath. And so Jesus just becomes just a piece of our life. He's just a part of our life. And, and then we have these other things that keep going on. That is not the gospel. The gospel is, is that you see the life and teachings of Jesus. You meet Jesus in your life, which however way he chooses to uh, uh, share himself to you or reveal himself to you. And the gospel is, is that actually you come to the place where you say that your life is not what it is all cracked up to be, that your life is not what God has intended. And then you come to the place where you've decided to surrender your life, aka die to self and live in a new life. So there's another circle that Jesus doesn't come and fit in your life. Jesus offers you a new life and it is his life. So instead of you just living in, in your life and Jesus fits into your circle, Jesus asks you to follow him. You die to self, your life dies, and he invites you to live in his life and in his kingdom. Does this make sense? And it's a complete paradigm shift when you start to understand the full measure of the gospel. Because if, if we just paint a picture that you just accept Jesus and he just fits conveniently in here amongst everything else, that's not the proper picture. The proper picture is you die and live in Christ. Uh, your kingdom dies and you move into his kingdom. Your will is no longer the focus and no longer the premise. It becomes about his will. Uh, and that is, that is the gospel. So if that's you and you're deciding, hey, I want to follow Jesus or I want to learn more about Jesus through Bible studies, I have any questions, comments, points of clarification, our contact information is there. And that is our, our choice of mechanism, if you will, to just open the door for you to respond. You're a grown adult. You're a person that thinks with your own brain and, and you can make decisions uh, are cards bad and of the devil? Absolutely not. Um, we're just simply saying that this week, this is the way that we are extending to you the opportunity. Or if email makes you uncomfortable, please come see Wayne. Please come see myself. Uh, Pastor Mark Craig is here regularly and around. Uh, um, Joel is around. Uh, there's those of us. If it, Just talk with somebody. Take initiative. 
follow Jesus. So that's what that is there for. And as, as well, if you would like the book, Reboot Your Spiritual Life, email him and we'll send that over or email myself and we'll send that over. That said, I'm going to invite you to pray and uh, we're going to hit the ground running because we've got quite a bit to get through tonight. Jesus, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word. Thank you for the opportunity to read through the book of Philippians together as a community of believers. There are those of us that are here tonight that may be struggling with our faith. And for that person, I just ask that you would speak truth, that you would, that you would reveal yourself to them in a way that, that you know they will understand. For those of us that are believers, that are following you, that, that have chosen to surrender our lives to you, that are choosing to die daily, as Paul says, I just pray as well that you would speak to us, that you would inspire us. These passages that we're reading are, in some respects, not the most profound words of Scripture. So I just ask that somehow, some way, you would work a miracle, that you would leverage this time for your name's honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, I invite you to open with me again uh, to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, and it is there that we're going to remain primarily through the duration of our time together, aside from looking at a couple different supporting passages, and you'll see what I mean when we get to those. So again, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, and while you're turning there, just want to thank those of you who turned out to the... um, Theo time or whatever uh, we want to call that, Uh, the little discussion we had at noon today. I'm just grateful for your questions and for your time. Um, Yeah, it was good to just chat and yeah. And I pray for the Theo majors too because there's a lot of of challenges they will face as they head out into pastoral ministry. Um, And so just pray for them as well. So Philippians chapter 2 Starting in verse 19, the Bible says this, and by the way, why why I'm saying in the prayer that these passages are not some of the most, like, lit up passages on the planet, because this this is a section in the book, that in the letter that Paul is writing from his jail cell in Rome, AD 60, to the church in Philippi, and it gets kind of personal here. So there's things that as we read these verses, there's things that we can extrapolate or point out. And I pray that they would be meaningful to you because it does get personal and it shows you that these people are human people and they have issues and things are going on, uh, but they care for one another. So watch this, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So in other words, him and Timothy are chilling in a jail cell together. Paul is hoping to send Timothy and seeing Timothy go to the church in Philippi so that he can get direct word through Timothy about what's happening in the church in Philippi. Verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be, now watch this church, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Genuinely concerned for your welfare. And notice what Paul says. I don't have anybody else that I know that I can send that will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Uh, It strikes me, church, that there's those of us in the church today in the 21st century that could actually say, you know what, I question whether or not there's anybody that genuinely is concerned for my welfare. I go in and out of church. I hear this all the time. I go in and out of church, and it's like I'm not even there. Whether I'm there or not, it doesn't even matter. 
Uh, some years back, I did a funeral for a, bro- a brother in Christ named Bo Bachman. He 19, was 19 years old, had just finished his first year of college at, at Southern Adventist University, came home back to Seattle where he was attending our church, and just a, a young guy that I, I had the just huge opportunity to mentor. Uh, I didn't know he saw me as a mentor, but uh, that was later told to me. Bo came back to work for the summer, and on his way home from work one night, uh, he's driving, goes through a green light, and as he's going through a green light, a car of of, uh, 17 and 18-year-old students in high school, drunk, intoxicated, come flying down, run a red light, and slam right into the side of Bo's car. He is killed instantly. His father, who I'm still in touch with to this day, his name's Tim Bachman. Uh, I didn't know Tim really well before this, but I've gotten to know him quite well and his wife, Melanie. And I've stayed in contact with him loosely. But about a year ago, the, the relationship with, with Tim and the father who lost his 19-year-old son, uh, I, I called him about a year ago just to say, man, how are you doing? I think of you regularly. How's it going? And, uh, and I asked him the sobering question, or I heard the sobering response when I asked him, Tim, are you in community? Do you have people that are reaching out to you that, that are concerned about you? Because as a father now, I can't imagine how he goes day in and day out. As he choked up on the phone, he responded, no one talks to me. Why? Because let's be honest, in our human nature, it's uncomfortable to talk to people that have gone through complete and utter devastation. So it's easier to just stay in our own comfort zones and not be concerned about other people's welfare. But to me, it's evidence that the body of Christ is breaking down, that fundamentally something is dead wrong when a brother in Christ loses his son. And this is a guy who's deeply involved with church. He's a worship leader. Uh, Both he and his wife are involved. Melanie writes books that are are printed through the Review and Herald. I mean, they're involved in church. They love God, love Jesus. And yet no one reaches out to him. No one consoles him. No one offers a shoulder to cry on. And something is fundamentally wrong. And so these are powerful words that Paul says is, is, I know that Tim is going to be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I pray that Avondale, that this church community is a place where you have people that are genuinely concerned for your welfare. I pray as our sister is recovering in the hospital bed right now, that she knows, and it's evident, that you are genuinely concerned for her welfare. I've signed up for the Facebook page that's praying for her, and, and I'm seeing the post that it is evident that they are genuinely concerned for their welfare. And that is a beautiful thing, something you ought to be grateful for, and something we ought to celebrate as a church community. Verse 21. For they, notice this now, for they. Who is the they? These are church leaders. These are different people that are involved with the church. For they, verse 21, seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And I simply submit to you again, and I'm going to try to just remain calm and not not get angry tonight, uh, but I simply submit to you today that there are those people that are more interested because they hate drums and they don't like that type of music. They're more concerned about their own interests than those of Jesus Christ. Jesus never talked about drums. Jesus never talked about jewelry. Jesus never talked about our health message. Homie ate fish. 
That's why I'm a pescatarian. Pescatarian's vegetarian, but we eat fish. Just like Jesus. But notice this, and this is a sobering reality. So what Paul was facing then and the church was facing then is the same thing that you and I are facing now some, some 2,000 years later. And that is, is that there's those people that are all about their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, keep in mind, keep in mind if I can find it. And then, Mom, he started speaking in tongues, and we were all lost. We knew at that very moment that he was clearly of the devil. Again, keep in mind, church, where Paul says earlier in this chapter, and verses, this is not on the, on the screen behind me, uh, uh, but keep in mind, do not, this is verse 3, do not, of chapter 2, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And I mean, just right there, if I come in and I trumpet my own belief or my own, dude, if you're convicted that, that for you, the drumbeat is the signature of Satan and you're going to go to hell if you listen to this music, then don't listen to that music for yourself, but don't make that the standard for everybody else. Like, like if God convicts you of something, I celebrate that. I am clearly convicted country music is of the devil. But, yeah, just repent, you booer. Uh, I am clearly convicted of that, but do I go to country music shows with a picket sign and a sign that says all country music is of the devil and you're going to burn to hell? You know what's funny too to me, or not funny, it's really sad, is that these people that go around that say things like you should not read any literature that is not written by a Seventh-day Adventist, or you should never have a consultation by a non-Seventh-day Adventist, or yeah, by a non-Seventh-day Adventist, that we shouldn't look at these other churches, we shouldn't attend these other churches. You know what's so sad about this is that these people from my experience, have never gone and talked. They've never gone and, and sat at the feet or, or just, I shouldn't say sat at the feet, uh, but they've never sat at the table with these brothers and sisters. Why? Because they're afraid of them. And you might just find that there's brother, brothers and sisters of other faiths that actually deeply love Jesus. And if you could simply humble yourself, maybe you could learn something from them. And I just don't get where we get off trying to say that we're the best and we've got it all together. We ought to be humble and consider others greater than ourselves. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. What does he say here in verse 21? For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. May you church, may you Avondale College be focused solely on the interests of Jesus Christ. May our lives start to be wrapped around and surrounded in not our own gospel, not our own kingdom, but the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And in so doing, I promise you that your focus won't be on what you like or don't like. You'll start to become like Jesus and like what he likes and will like, don't like what he doesn't like. And that's, that's when you start rejoicing in the fullness of God, when you start tasting him and experiencing him, and he starts giving you new desires in your heart. 
and starts giving you new eyes to see with. Please note, side note here, that Jesus, when he came to a blind man, he never took out their, their broken eyes and gave them new eyes. He healed their eyes from the inside out. He always does it that way. And yeah, you can, well, he spit on my little, little, little. He took the broken eyes and the, the faulty eyes and gave people new eyes to see with. But he used the broken ones and healed those. And that's what Jesus does in our life. Gives us new eyes to see with. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. And notice this right here. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. How as a son with a father, he has served me with the gospel. We're going to come to that in just a minute. Verse 23. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Why? Because he's stuck in a jail cell. He doesn't know if his life is going to end. And so he's going to see how things end up with him. Verse 24, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come. Going back to that in verse 22, uh, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How is a son with a father? He has served me with the gospel. Was Timothy uh, Paul's biological son? Anybody? No. They weren't biologically related. They weren't blood relatives. But notice what, what Paul refers to Timothy as his son. Please check out the next verse on the next slide here. Real quick, this is going to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 17. The Bible says this. That is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful what? Child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. But notice again that Paul in 1 Corinthians refers to Timothy as a faithful child in the Lord. Uh, notice on the next verse uh, in Matthew chapter, Luke, sorry, chapter 8, sorry, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 21, it says this, and this is Jesus speaking. This is the story where the paralytic was laid down. They were in a very busy room. Uh, it was so busy. The house was so packed that, that his mother and disciples and brothers, sorry, could not get in the house. Somebody comes up to Jesus and says, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus answered this, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He, he, here's the point here. You are my brother. You are my sister. When I'm going to Elm Saving Church, I shared this a little bit at, at the noon hour. When I'm going to Elm Saving Church, I'll just confess to you that my initial thought coming out to this church that is dead, it's dying, it's in rapid decline. It used to be a thriving church back in the 50s. A consultant was hired and brought in. And the consultant's assessment is if the 1950s ever come back, you are going to be perfectly poised to grow. That was not the best compliment. I don't know if you're like, man, I love the 50s. I hope it comes back. Uh, that was not, not a good thing. Uh, so my initial assessment when I saw this church and saw how they were functioning and, and the sleigh bells were played at the, the, ch the church that day, and it was just all off sync and like everything just seemed so powerless and just so so meaningless. And, and I'm not trying to judge other people. I'm just speaking for myself. When I sat there that day, I was not moved. I was not inspired. If Ellen says our church services ought to be intensely interesting from a scale from zero to intensely interesting, I would have probably slid onto the side of zero. 
And yet, so my initial thought was, let's close the church for two to three months. Let's take a sabbatical time, just shut the church down. Let's get a core team of people together. We will grow and disciple, we'll train and equip, and we will plant a new church within the church facility and start with a completely new slate, completely new leadership and completely new DNA. And then honestly, God is my witness, church. I came across this passage in Philippians where Paul refers to Timothy as his son. And then I was reminded of these things that we just looked at where Jesus calls those who do the will of God, hear the word of God and do the will of God. These are my mother and these are my brothers. In other words, when you and I start to follow Jesus, he's Lord of our life. He is the head of the church. We are the body. Uh, But more importantly, or more specifically on this point, you become my family. You are my family. Like if you, if you hear the word of God and you do the word of God and live the word of God, you are my family. So then God pricked me in my spirit. I had to repent. I had already put a document publicly, sent it out to, to some of the church leaders recommending that we shut the church down. I had to repent, humble myself and simply say, I'm dead sorry. But what if miracle of miracles, I learned to love you and you learn to love me. I don't care if you're 80 or 90. I don't care what your presuppositions are. Is the gospel big enough for all ages and all generations? Could we actually come together as a church body, learn to worship God, learn to serve him well, learn, learn what it means to walk in the kingdom of God on this planet? And so... Thanks be to God that I preached through the book of Philippians a couple months ago at the Washington Adventist camp meeting uh, in preparation for this week here. And, um, uh, and God pricked my spirit. I repented. And now what we're doing is, is we're embracing everybody in the church. And we're simply saying that you are my mother. You are my father. You are my brother. You are my sister. And let us learn to love one another because, as I've said earlier, this will be the greatest testament, the greatest testament if by God's grace this church can band together in love. I really believe it. Uh, so this is, to me, it's just a powerful point that Paul, call, Paul calls Timothy his son. Moving right along to verse 25 and 26, already up on your screen behind me in front of you. He continues on. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Now look, please, if you're ever tempted to name your offspring Epaphroditus, don't. Just remember this night, if you take anything with you tonight, remember this. Don't name your child Epaphroditus. Just name him Fro for short. He will love you for that. What's your name? Fro. What's your middle name? Ditus. You can call me Froditus. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So again, church, this pericope, this section of scripture is not one that I would typically choose to preach uh, because it's getting into specific stuff. But what does this show us? 
Paul is deeply and intrinsically concerned about the body of believers, and the body of believers is deeply and intrinsically concerned about the leaders and and church folks, and they're referring to these people by name. Uh, I talked to one person recently that that goes to the Elm Saven Seventh-day Adventist Church. Their membership is there. She told me, Matthew, I haven't been to church in a long time. And she also recounted the story of how her husband, one of the church leaders there, her husband lost her mother, lost his mother, sorry. And not one single person has reached out to them. Not a solitary person has expressed any level of concern to them. When they don't attend church, no one recognizes and no one cares. Something is fundamentally wrong with that. Paul points out here uh, uh, that this brother uh, and fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, minister in need, um, he has been longing to be with you and distressed because they had heard, the people over in, in Philippi had heard that this dude was sick. And I want to just point something out before we go into verse 27. I love this, that he refers to him as brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Let me just stop on that point for just a minute and we'll land the plane here. You as a man of God, I'm going to speak to the men here just momentarily. Unfortunately, in the church today, 60%, statistically 60% of churchgoers are females. 40% of churchgoers are males. That tends to be how that works. Uh, Because there's, yeah, only two to tango. Either you're a dude or a chick. 60% are female, 40% are male. The problem is, is that church has become emasculating to men. We get around, sing songs about flowers and skipping through the field. We wear pink shirts and shorts and plays. That was kind of a joke, but it just came to me and thought I'd roll with it. That was an incredible skit. I mean, that was very creative. I don't know where y'all got that or who wrote that or came up with it, but very creative. As a man today, I simply challenge you. You will not find a greater role model of what it means to be a man than Jesus Christ. Jesus called men. I'm not trying to be chauvinist and I'm not getting into the women's ordination issue right now. Jesus chose the 12 were men. Uh, He calls men, he builds men, he calls men uh, uh, to be the head of the household. He calls men to serve and serve faithfully. And unfortunately, we've created a culture where, again, in the church, we often emasculate men. And men don't get it. There's a friend of mine, a guy, guy that's written a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church, and I would highly recommend it. If you've never read anything from John Elridge, I would highly recommend it. Men are are men, and they desire manly things and ought to be celebrated and encouraged. Men need a challenge, and a challenge isn't just coming into church and singing songs and dropping cash in a bucket. They need a challenge. And I love the fact that Paul refers to this dude, Epaphroditus, maybe because Epaphroditus is maybe an emasculating name. I don't know. But he refers to him as a fellow soldier, that you are a soldier in Christ. And to me, that's a powerful statement. Moving right along to verse 27. Speaking about his illness, indeed he was ill, near death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. 
I am, more, more, I am the more eager to send him, Epaphroditus, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be what? Less anxious. I find this interesting, a bit of a side note, but Paul had anxiety. A brother in Christ I had lunch with today uh, was talking to me about his issues with anxiety. And Paul is saying here that I may be less anxious. Verse 29 and 30, and we're going to be closing here momentarily. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So the question has to be asked, what is this? Uh, he's, Epaphroditus was risking his life for the work of Christ to complete was what was lacking in your service to me. If you look at Philippians chapter 4, so same book, next slide, um, 4 verse 10. Just hear this now to unpack this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So notice that the church had concern for Paul, but they had no opportunity. And I don't know exactly what the concern was. Paul was a funky dude. I mean, the guy was shipwrecked. The guy was beaten down. He nearly lost his life regularly. He was imprisoned regularly. So I think the early church would have great concern for the guy, but they had no opportunity to, to assist him. Not that I am speaking of being in need, and I love this statement, and we're going to look at this by Friday. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be what? Content. That's a very powerful statement. How many of us live with regret today? Paul is saying, in whatever situation I am in, I've learned to be content. Let's look on the next slide here. This is uh, Philippians chapter 4, going on to verses 12 and 13. I know how to be brought low. And just hear this, church, and I'm closing with this now. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. And then he says this, and say this with me, church. I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. It's a very powerful statement. So I just wanted to flush out a little bit more that the church did not have opportunity to, to serve Paul. Epaphroditus did and risked his life on behalf of the kingdom of God. I don't know all the details there, but I just wanted to tease that out uh, as we have expositorily gone through and have now completed chapter 2 to the glory of God. Amen. At this point in time, I'm going to invite my brother in Christ, Simon, to come on up. He's going to bless us with music. I'm going to spray some biotin, biotin, biotin in my mouth. I thank God for this because I haven't drank any water and my mouth has remained moist. I pray that upon hearing this word today, that somehow, some way, God spoke to you through it. The, again, I just... I confess to you that these passages are not the easiest to preach, um, but I think that there are applicable points in it, and, uh, and I pray that God showed up and revealed something to you. Uh, if, if not, the least of these is simply this, that you are my brother, you are my sister, we ought to be concerned for each other's wel welfare and well-being. May God continue to bless you as we worship through music, and I'll come up and close with, uh, with a prayer. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> what a powerful testimony. Um, I would just encourage you, for those of you who may be struggling in the faith, um, you may want to talk with Simon. I didn't know that journey or his story and journey to faith. Um, 
uh, but what a powerful testimony. Um, listen, I'm going to close with prayer here tonight, and then we're going to actually listen to and have the audio play of a song called Beautiful People. Um, so I just invite you to respond freely to that music as it plays. Some of you may be, be felt to run out, um, and uh, my soul will cry out uh, if you do. Um, but I would encourage you to stand, stand in this place and celebrate. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we close in prayer. I just want, to, want you to hear this. In verse 18, Paul says of chapter 2 of Philippians, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. We have much to be happy about, glad about, and a lot to rejoice in. I'm going to pray and let that music roll. And uh, I would just challenge you to just, just, um, just let yourself be moved. Just, just allow yourself to be moved. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. We do have a lot to be glad and rejoice in. Thank you for these words of scripture that we've been able to unpack. Thank you for the book of Philippians. We look forward uh, to plugging along again in the morning. And, um, and I just thank you for the goodness that you have brought to this church. Uh, uh, when I'm, when I'm saying is, is specifically the early church uh, to Paul, to Timothy, in spite of them being in a jail cell, they're able to say, I'm glad, and they're able to rejoice. And I just pray as a church community tonight, as we close out, that we would recognize that we are beautiful people, that you see us as a pearl of infinite value. And in so doing, uh, when you come in us, we will see others as pearls of infinite value and recognize that everywhere we go, they are, and we see beautiful people. So, Jesus, may you continue to be honored and glorified. I just pray that this moment would be a time of celebration uh, where we can rejoice and dance and have fun. In your name, amen.